you can get your herd into the high fertility cycle by being aggressive with reproduction, everything's just going to work better. Cows are going to be healthier. Milk production is going to be better. Once you have good reproduction, you have a lot of options. If you don't have good repro, you have no options. back to the Dairy Science Digest. This is a podcast designed to bring the Journal of Dairy Science straight to the ears of dairy producers. I'm Reagan Bluel from the University of Missouri Dairy Team and today we're meeting with Dr. Paul Fricke and Megan Lauber from the University of Wisconsin in Madison. And if you followed and heard last month's edition, we were talking about reproduction and specifically illuminating these details around early pregnancy loss. This month's theme is also reproduction. It continues as, as we all know, Dr. Fricky's a well-known animal science researcher. He and his team set out to better understand how can we improve pregnancy outcomes based on synchronization. And so this, all of these findings were summarized in an article titled The Effect of Postpartum Body Condition Score Change on Pregnancy Outcomes of Lactating Jersey Cows Inseminated for Service with Sex Jersey Semen or Conventional Beef Semen After a Synchronized Estrus Versus Synchronized Ovulation. So that was a big long title talking about brown cows and fertility <laughs> and uh, using sex semen or beef semen. So uh, before we get going on the project, could you tell me a little bit about yourself? Sure, I can go ahead and start. So I grew up on a dairy farm in uh, Nebraska, where my dad farmed with my grandfather and my uncle. We milked about 60 Holsteins in a two-by-two swing parlor, so I grew up milking cows. My formal appointment is between research and extension in dairy cattle reproduction. And I'll just go ahead and introduce Megan and let her take it away. But Megan Lauber is one of my current PhD students. Yes. Thanks, Paul, for the introduction. And thanks again, Reagan, for the invitation on the podcast. As Paul mentioned, my name is Megan Lauber. I grew up similar background to Paul's. I grew up on a 60 cow registered Holstein herd uh, just south of Milwaukee in Wisconsin, uh, where my family still farms today. Uh, Now there's a few jerseys, though. Got to give that credit (laughs) to my sister-in-law. She infiltrated with a few jerseys. And really for me, I wanted to continue on with my interest in dairy, so I attended the University of Wisconsin-Madison for my undergraduate degree, really found a love for research and looked for opportunities, and I was very fortunate. Uh, Dr. Fricke had opening for a master's student uh, with Paul in 2018 for my master's, continued to love research that I'm doing in reproductive management, primarily with sex semen, the economics of it, the basic physiology, and how we should implement it with management strategies in our dairies finished my master's in March of 2021, and I've continued on with Paul as a PhD student. Really have enjoyed my time and the ability to do great research. That's fantastic. Yes. And, and, you know, understanding that sex semen side of things is so critically important, especially for the brown cows, right? Those jerseys and making sure that we understand their fertility. As we think about the evolution of reproductive physiology over Oh, golly, just even just the last 30 years, right? Over 30 years, we've made a lot of progress in the reproductive status of our herd with pregnancy rates ranging from the teens all the way up to, you know, a preg rate in in the 30s is increasingly commonplace. And it's certainly a goal to strive towards if you're not there yet. What that affords is that strategic culling or, or in this case, strategic breeding opportunities to the farm to help offset the cost of production. I love it. It's really good. 
And so definitely important to, to best understand the, the dynamics associated with that. Could one of you guys talk me through, you know, really this, this project is a bit like an onion and each layer kind of builds upon itself as far as what some of the objectives were looking at first, the, the reproductive strategy of synchronization, and then what effect it has based on the semen that you use. And then uh, nutritionally, where is she uh, with her energy through the transition and what impact does that have? So let's, let's start on that first layer. And can one of you please describe the two different synchronization protocols that you used? You know, the, the context of the study was, as Megan said, to combine, we kind of like the idea of stacking reproductive technologies. We know that we call double obsync, for example, a fertility program. And you mentioned, Reagan, that the initial obsync program, when it came out in 95, made it, that, that, that changed everything, right? It was a mm -hmm. way to put semen into cows, but we didn't necessarily see an improvement in fertility with the original obsync program. So I came on board in about 95, and that's kind of when that first paper was published by Wilt Bank and Pursley. And then over the next 25 years, we worked to improve fertility of that program. And uh, one of the ways we can do that is we can pre-synchronize cows. And it originally started with the two prostaglandins. We know now that there's a lot of cows that aren't cycling. Prostaglandins don't affect those cows. So really, that's the idea that for the double off-sync, using an off-sync protocol to pre-synchronize the cows for the second off-sync, because that initial off-sync will overcome the anovular condition through combining generation prostaglandin. And then you know, we had protocols set up, and this is really an interesting story. When you get the cows so well synchronized to begin on day seven, that's really what the first off-sync mm -hmm. does, is gets them to start the second off-sync on day seven. It fixed some problems, but it created a new problem, and that new problem <laughs> was a lack of luteal regression. If you get so many cows on day seven, the corpus luteum acquires luteolytic capacity around that time, especially in these older cows, the multiparous cows. Mm -hmm. And so the rate limiting step to fertility in the program really was regression of that corpus luteum. And so that's where uh, the second prostaglandin came into play. A second prostaglandin 24 hours after the first prostaglandin in the second obsync, that was kind of the, the key to unlocking fertility uh, to that protocol. And when that second prostaglandin went in there, uh, we just saw fertility pop in these lactating dairy cows. And so if I can, if I can interrupt you for yeah, two yeah. seconds, I'm going to zoom out 30,000 foot a little bit here. If, if some of you were glazing over, so there's really two structures. He's talking about the CL or the corpus luteum, and then you've got the follicle, uh, and they're, they're generating either estrogen or progesterone. And, um, and that's really what we're, that's what we're trying to synchronize here with all mm -hmm. these series of shots is, is just those structures there on the ovary. And, and I really want to zoom in a little bit on what you just got done saying your, your prostaglandin injection at day 24 or 25 of the cycle of the synchronization cycle, which in most cases, in this particular case, started on day, say 42, 43 in milk. And then 24 days later, we gave a loot shot back to back. Right. Mm -hmm, and and mm -hmm. it, now, now if we could zoom back in, explain it, please explain to them on the, on the luteolysis. What's that mean? Why are we trying to knock that down? Yeah, that was a big issue. This was clear back in the 1960s, Jim Lauderdale at Upjohn at the time, they were looking at, you know, what is it that controls the corpus luteum? What is it that makes the corpus luteum regress? And so 
a cow comes into estrus, she ovulates a follicle, that follicle then becomes a corpus luteum and secretes progesterone, which will maintain pregnancy. If a cow doesn't get pregnant around day 16 to 18 of the estrus cycle, the cow's uterus, the non-pregnant uterus, will release endogenous prostaglandin F2 alpha. That travels back to the ovary and causes regression of the CL so that you start a new cycle and the cow has another opportunity to become pregnant. And so Jim Lauderdale, when he was at Upjohn, discovered that prostaglandin F2 alpha was the luteolytic substance in cattle. Mm -hmm. It was it was produced. The original product was lutealized. That's why you're using that term lute, Reagan. Sorry. But yes. uh, we have clopros <laughs> we have clopracinol as well, which is a synthetic estrimate. analog of prostaglandin. Yeah. Yep, estromate. And uh, what we learned is that we could regress that corpus luteum uh, earlier than, say, day 16 or 18. But that there's a limit to that. So after that follicle ovulates after estrus, for the first about six to seven days, when that new corpus luteum is forming, it doesn't have what we call luteolytic capacity. You can give prostaglandin, but it doesn't regress. And so you've got this interesting period of about a week after ovulation where you can't regress the corpus luteum. And so that was really the key in an OVSYNC program. What that first GNRH treatment does mm -hmm. is it, it ovulates a follicle, forms a corpus luteum. You have to regress that corpus luteum seven days later, and then that synchronized follicle will go on. And then at the second GNRH, you ovulate it and you can do a timed AI. And so the rate limiting step was because, as I said before, because in a double off-sync, because that first off-sync does such a nice job at getting cows exactly to day seven, we get a mm -hmm. fairly good ovulatory response there. The rate limiting step was getting that CL to regress, okay? Mm -hmm. And work that we did looking at how fast progesterone comes down after given a single prostaglandin. And once, you know, once we kind of realized, well, it was a luteal regression problem, it's like, okay, let's give a second prostaglandin 24 hours after that first one. And that completes the luteolytic process. And it was about, I think, 14 or 15% of the multiple cows were not regressing. And right. so that fixes that problem. And, you know, one other thing I'll say, Reagan, factors that affect fertility to an estrus in high-producing dairy cows are quite different than factors that affect fertility to a synchronized breeding program, a complicated one like double obsync. And really it's about getting the cow to do what we want her to do when we give each of those treatments. Mm -hmm. And so once we fix that problem with luteal regression, then the cow synchronized really well and we got high fertility. And that's really what has pushed. That's why, Reagan, that's why we're using so much sex and beef semen, because we have pushed pregnancy rates, we've doubled pregnancy rates. Mm -hmm. And so we can produce more replacements than we need. Hence, you know, people are starting to genomically test herds. This is the this is what I talk about with the stackable technologies, right? Yeah. You can use genomic testing. If you don't have really good repro, you don't need to do genomic testing. When you yeah, have good repro, you don't have a choice. Yeah, you don't have a choice, right? So when you have good repro, now you can genomically test your herd. You can select the best animals for replacements, generating placements. We use sex semen on maybe that 30% of the lactating herd. And then the rest of those cows, we want a calf to reinitiate the lactation cycle, but we don't necessarily want a replacement. So we can increase value to that calf by using beef on, on dairy. And that's become a big thing. And Megan has a very nice paper where she just looked at kind of a snapshot in the United States and a large data set of how people are using sexton beef semen. And maybe mm -hmm. I'll throw it over to Megan to just comment on, on that, that paper. Yes, please.
Yes. So it's it's amazing to see from 2019 to 2021. It was herds primarily in the Midwest, uh, but data from Dairy Records Management System, uh, we collaborated with their group, looking at how sexed and beef semen was being used in our Holstein herd here in the U.S., as well as our Jersey herd. And it's very interesting linear trends that you see that we continue to see an increase in the amount of sex and beef semen being used, like you'd expect it to be using more sex semen and on more fertile animals, our younger nulliparous heifers, primiparous cows, as well as earlier services like first and second service. When we're seeing sex uh, semen being used for inseminations, uh, while seeing more beef semen being used on our, our older, more multiparous cows as well as at later services. So seeing the combination of those two technologies. And for me, what was interesting with that data is we saw a herd size effect of this. So mm-hmm. there was a linear relationship that as herd size increased, for example, herds over a thousand cows, those herds were using more sexed and more beef semen compared to herds that were less than a hundred cows. And we could talk about different reasons why that may be. We don't have a, a solidified reason for that. But I think part of it is some of this aspects of reproductive performance. We can look at Herds benchmarked, whether it's DRMS or other management systems that generally hurt larger herds have greater reproductive performance, which allows them to adopt these technologies as well as the economies of scale to do so. Uh, so I think that's really powerful. And in addition, what Paul mentioned with the fertility program aspect is also we have cows in the high fertility cycle now and looking mm-hmm. at these peri management aspects that really are important for increasing reproductive performance. Gives you a lot of, of flexibility and options out there. It, but regardless of herd size, regardless of what those those data was saying, it's not, if you're a small herd, you can do this too. You just have oh, yeah. to focus on the details. And yep. um, and I'm passionate mm-hmm. about that. And and so let's talk a little bit about those details. We've got the, the double off-sync protocol, and I interrupted you so rudely uh, at day 24 and 25 is when you're giving that prostaglandin. And then if, if you could take it from there and, and finish the discussion about about these protocols that you enrolled 1200 Jersey cows into. Yeah. So, I mean, after, after you get luteal regression, you have a synchronized follicular wave and you can give that second GnRH treatment to induce ovulation, and then you can do a timed insemination. So again, that's our double off-sync was fertility program. So that was one of the treatments in the study. We randomly allocated cows to either get a double off-sync protocol. Now, the second protocol that you discussed in the paper was one that we kind of made up a little bit. It was just a protocol to induce estrus. Mm-hmm. So really the question was, let's look at the difference in fertility using sex and beef semen in Jersey cows after a synchronized ovulation to a fertility program versus a synchronized estrus. And that second protocol, we started with the GnRH treatment, seven days later gave prostaglandin, 14 days later a second prostaglandin, and then a day later, a, a third prostaglandin. That that protocol is not something probably that most people would want to use, but it just brought cows into estrus. And the key to this study is they're in estrus at about the same day in milk. So we can make mm-hmm. it apples to apples comparison of fertility of the cows bred to timed AI to a fertility program versus estrus. And so that's how the experiment was designed. And I'll I'll just mention also, the sex versus beef semen is really two independent studies. The farm mm-hmm. decided which cows got sex semen, which cows got beef semen. We would love to do a study where we can <laughs> allocate cows to semen right. type, but that's not going to happen, right? So, right. so they decided which cows got mated to sex and beef within those matings, and we randomized them to get the double off-sync protocol or the estrus protocol. Sure. And then we could evaluate reproductive performance from there. 
Absolutely. So if for whatever reason she didn't read the book or respond to the injections that you were giving with the synchronization or, or inducing of estrus and you didn't see heat, then there was that safety net enrollment where you went ahead and made sure through synchronization, both treatments, whether it was double off sync or the synchronization of estrus, both of them had semen in them on or around day 80. Exactly. And just let's start by framing the what I call the equation of reproduction. Mm-hmm. The rate at which cows get pregnant, the 21-day pregnancy rate is determined by the service rate, the rate at which we breed cows, and then the conception rate, the rate at which the cows that we breed become pregnant. Okay. Mm-hmm. So so we, we looked at both of those things in this study. So if you look at, for example, on the beef semen, the jerseys that were made into beef semen on the asterisk versus the double offsync protocol. With double off sync, you breed 100% of the cows. Mm-hmm. That's a huge advantage, okay? And I think one thing when I work with farmers, they'd like to catch all their cows in estrus. They try hard to catch all their <laughs> cows in estrus, but because they're anovular cows, we only caught 78% of those cows in estrus, right? So sure. right away, advantage double off sync on the service rate side of that equation. Mm-hmm. And then when you look at the difference in fertility, which is the other side of the equation, it was about a nine percentage point advantage mm-hmm. for double off sync compared to estrus. And with the beef semen, you know, in these jerseys, we were impressed. I mean, the, the conception rates were well above 50 percent. Right. Even mm-hmm. at the second preg check, it was amazing. These little jerseys are quite fertile, <laughs> and especially if you put them on a put them on a synchronization program like that. So right. the advantage in both sides of that equation go to double off sync. You're going to get more cows pregnant faster when you mm-hmm. submit them for first service to a synchronized breeding program, then waiting for those cows to come to asterisk. And Megan, you can go ahead and describe what happened on the sex semen side. And so a sex semen, it's a very similar story that when we synchronize cows with a double off sync, like Paul mentioned, it's a timed breeding. We have hundred percent of cows inseminated, which is great. That makes our life easier. But again, as we mentioned, we can only detect so many cows in estrus. We have other issues with failure expression, labor to detect estrus or just simply anovular cows that aren't cycling. So you only, again, detect about 75 to 80% of cows in estrus. So the remainder have to go and receive some type of hormonal treatment for a timed breeding uh, to be inseminated. Like you said, we can't forget about those cows. And so when we look at the relative fertility of those inseminated off of a timed breeding off a double sync versus a true detection of estrus, AI after a detection of estrus, it's about a six to a seven percentage point advantage for our double off sync cows having more pregnancy outcomes compared to those detected in estrus and inseminated. So it's a very similar story. And when you look at the estrus detection group, including those that we didn't detect and were put on a timed breeding, that difference grows even larger, closer to about eight or nine percentage points. And so again, that likely the difference increases because again, we have those cows that we're not cycling that we failed to detect those cows that were likely going to have lower fertility put on that timed breeding. That's also going to further create that spread, if that if that makes sense. So it's a very similar finding. And I think it's important to some people say, okay, well, with that synchronized breeding that you're doing for a fertility program, double off sync protocol, it's just because you're increasing synchrony. You have more cows synchronized. But in this paper, you can see that we've gone through that and looked in a step-by-step basis. And when you look within synchronized cows between both treatments, uh, that relative fertility difference still stays. So you can tease it. It's it's not just that we synchronize more cows. There are intrinsic aspects of the double off sync that we're controlling follicular development and that hormonal milieu to improve fertility. 
Yeah. Can you speak a little bit to the hormonal manipulations that might actually be happening there at the follicular level when a GnRH shot is given? Yeah. What we're trying to do is for many years, we synchronized estrus just with prostaglandins. And the, and the limitation to putting semen into cows when you synchronize an estrus, of course, is catching the cows in estrus so you can put, put semen into them. And number two, the fertility aspect, the lower fertility aspect. So we don't call these protocols estrus synchronization protocols anymore. We call them fertility programs. Again, because we synchronize the follicular wave, because we can induce luteal regression in, in a timely fashion, we can get 100% of the cows we put on the protocol inseminated, and they will have higher fertility than if we bred them to estrus. And based on that equation of reproduction, it's a very powerful way to push that equation and get very high pregnancy rates. And so I think the bottom line for your dairy farmers who are listening to this, mm -hmm. these protocols, put them on a piece of paper. They're complex. They involve seven treatments, right? Mm -hmm. And so there's a lot of treatments. People see all those treatments. They're, they're there for a specific reason in a specific timing. To get good results with this protocol, you have to comply with the treatments. So you got to get the right stuff to the right cow on the right day and breed the right group of cows. But if you can do that, these protocols more than pay for themselves. Mm -hmm. by very effectively getting these cows pregnant. And, and, you know, for a first service, it's very powerful because all cows get submitted for a first service. So you're mm -hmm. working on all the cows and you can, you can get a, we can get half of our cows pregnant to first service now. So it's, it's kind of amazing where we've come with reproduction in these, in these programs and protocols. And it works with sex semen. It's kind of, kind of the story that we were telling in this particular study. That's absolutely incredible. And I think your your team up there in Wisconsin are kind of like an army of reproductive scientists. And, <laughs> and there's some lieutenants here that are blowing the horn and saying, this is what we need to be doing next. And without really taking the time that it took over the last, say, 30 years or and really understanding what's happening at that ovary level to to piece apart the parts of the equation that you were referring to it we couldn't be where we're at. And it's so exciting to think about where we will be 30 years from today. It's, it's kind of hard to even think about what that might look like. All right, so let's talk a little bit about the body condition score impact of fertility and specifically zooming in on the animals that were losing body condition score. And I'm just gonna kind of smear it out and say over the first month of lactation, when you measured body condition score, there was a subset of animals that, that lost greater than half a point, right? And could you talk a little bit about how did that impact your pregnancies per AI on a percentage basis? I'm going to take a step back. I'll let Megan explain the results from the study, but I do want to take a step back and talk about this concept that we've been calling the high fertility cycle. Yeah. Okay. And what this goes back is very interesting. We've known that changes in body condition score have play a role in reproductive performance. So back in the 1970s, Bill Thatcher of Florida showed cows that lose more than a point in body condition score post-calving had very poor fertility. So we've kind of known this, okay? Um, probably in about the 1990s, a researcher, his name was Jack Britt, he's still around, still giving a lot of mm -hmm. talks. He, he put some physiology to this hypothesis. And what he did was he showed he had a small herd of cows at North Carolina State University. He just body condition scored those cows for 10 weeks. Mm -hmm. And in the first three weeks, okay, so the first three weeks postpartum are critical. He could put cows into two groups. 
there was a group of cows that calved at a higher body condition score and they lose for those three weeks. Mm -hmm. And then that was about half of them. And the other half of cows calved at a lower body condition score and didn't lose. Once you put those in those two groups, look at them across 10 weeks. Um, what he found was the cows that kind of maintained body condition score had mm -hmm. 60 some percent conception rate per service. The ones that lost and regained had about a 25% uh, conception rate. And so, so there's this relationship between, you know, body condition loss. And, and this is one of the things that I'm trying to tell farmers. We've, we've taught farmers and, and veterinarians and, and students that all cows lose body condition score postpartum. Mm -hmm. And that's not true. They don't all lose. There's these cows that, that maintain. There's a few cows that gain. Okay. So, what Jack said was, well, these follicles are growing up during this period of negative energy balance. And he hypothesized that something about negative energy balance is causing a problem with fertility. Now, we, we move forward. Richard Persley at Michigan State University, we've got a couple studies from UW-Madison, define this high fertility cycle. And that's just that cows that calve in a lower body condition score, not too low. If they're too low, they'll be anovular, okay? So... I like to see them like right around three. Okay. If you can get them, get them to calve at three, then they, they don't lose body condition. They kind of maintain it post calving. They don't have as many periparturient health issues. They have higher fertility. You can get them pregnant quickly and they don't spend a lot of time in late lactation getting fat. Okay. So we have been interested in this whole thing. And, and so Megan body condition scored these jerseys at calving. And at about 30 days, that's that key period, and uh, took that body condition score. And then she did this very interesting analysis, which I'm just going to turn over to Megan and she can explain what she found. Perfect. Excellent. Well, Paul, you took the point I was going to say. I always try to make sure that's right up in front for everyone to realize, like you said, that not all cows lose body condition. That's something that we've been ingrained in our minds so long and we've seen it now over several studies that we've looked at this that's that's not the case and so but as we know that transition period is really key for a lactating dairy cow so i looked at the body condition score change from about seven days in milk to about 30 ish days in milk and looked at that change and created what we call turtiles or three groups based on their body condition score loss and so groups consisted of those cows that lost greater than half a point of body condition score, those that lost a quarter of a point, so minimal loss, or those cows that maintained or gained. And what's interesting about this study is generally the studies that have done this, all cows have been on the same reproductive management protocol. But with this study, we actually randomized cows to receive timed insemination after a fertility program, our double off-sync, or an artificial insemination after detection of estrus. And so it's really interesting when we look at across these three groups, surprisingly, there is no difference in the fertility of our double off-sync cows, whether they had excessive body condition score loss, minimal or maintained or gained. And similarly, there was really no difference for those cows that lost a quarter or maintained or gained, whether they were inseminated after a double offsync protocol for timed artificial insemination or after detection of estrus in AI in that aspect. But really where this treatment effect was manifested, you know, favoring that double offsync protocol for improving pregnancy outcomes was for those cows that lost a lot of body condition score, mm -hmm. for those that loss greater or equal to half a point. And this was by about 15 to 17 percentage points. So it's quite a dramatic increase in fertility for those. Yeah, it's very profound. 
Yeah, and you can visually see it there on figure four, and I'll put a link to the paper. This is, of course, open access from the Journal of Dairy Science, and there, bound in the middle of the paper is a beautiful image really capturing that that sizable difference and and this is really i like to think about how this could really impact management can change this right and and it's all about employing these different tools that we have in the toolbox to encourage that positive feedback loop that improves their status yeah and what i should make sure that's clear too which is very interesting this is solely comparing those cows receiving a timed artificial insemination after that fertility program or double off sync versus those that were detected in estrus and artificially inseminated. This does not include those cows, those about 25% of cows that we did not detect in estrus mm. and put on an off-sync protocol or gave mm. gene rage and began an off-sync protocol. So we really don't have any of those anovular cows within this condition. So it's interesting Capture. to see this physiological effect um, just for those that we actually do detect in estrus. Right. Just wanted wow. to clarify that. Absolutely, yeah. Because if you, if you pull them out, yeah, they showed us that they, they were bred because they showed estrus. So these mm -hmm. are estrus cows. Wow. Cows showing estrus that lost a lot of body condition. And double obsync seems to keep fertility high in that group, whereas the estrus breedings, like Megan said, are like almost 20 percentage points lower. It's that. really incredible. Wow, wow, wow. Neat. You went into a really impressive uh, review of the literature talking about what might be happening inside that cow. Could you put some um, physiological <laughs> goggles on for us and, and plunge right in? Sure. So I think part of that too is this is speculation of what we think potentially could be happening. We don't have as much research. I think that's a gap that we have trying to understand some of these neuroendocrinology aspects with reproduction, with these metabolic factors of adiposity. So when we look at those cows that lost a lot of body condition score, uh -huh. when adipose tissue produces leptin, which is a, a factor of showing of how much condition our lactating dairy cows have. And so those cows that calved in with a high body condition score that were then put into a negative energy balance and then lose all that body condition score. Those cows go from a high leptin to a very low high leptin fat, environment. Low fat. Yes, because yeah. we're losing that that fat that our our lactating dairy cow has, and so that production of leptin is decreasing. And leptin is thought to be important in regulating GnRH secretion from the hypothalamus or the brain of the lactating dairy cow. That's so cool, right? And so fat controls this GnRH. It's crazy. Yes. Yeah. And so to be honest with you, I think we don't fully have it well understood. We've used sheep, right. sheep models, mm -hmm. but we haven't done as much in, in dairy cows because some of that neuroendocrinology work is a little hard. bit challenging to do. Yeah. Um, but it's thought that that may have a role in how gene rate is secreted in lactating dairy cows. And so by submitting these cows that lose a lot of condition that have mm -hmm. low leptin at the time of insemination, by submitting them to a double off-sync protocol and giving them GnRH treatments that we may better actually induce cyclicity, control follicular development, and later on timing of ovulation um, for those that have that low leptin environment compared to those in our estrus detection protocol where they have low leptin, but we're not giving them multiple GnRH treatments to mm -hmm. actually induce cyclicity, have continued to have more regulated follicular developments and also control timing of ovulation. I think it's a really interesting story. Like I said, we 
we wanted to try our best to explain our observations. That's one of the things we try to do in our papers. And I think this is, you know, it's a really interesting observation. And this is how one observation leads to a studies in another area. Mm -hmm, so I think it'd be sure. interesting, to, interesting to test this. But certainly, certainly double offspring maintained fertility of that, mm -hmm. that lowest third of the cows that lost the most body condition compared compared to the estrus cows. Kind of just help erase the, the issue with the GNRH side of things. That's good. It did. That, good. Those treatments with GnRH seem to seem to fix the problem in the cow. She's, you know, <laughs> these cows that are in that condition, they seem to come into estrus. I mean, one speculation meet, might be that they're just not ovulating. Maybe, you know, they don't seem they don't. You're breeding cows right. at, at the wrong time, or cows that don't ovulate in that particular situation. Well, we're getting close to the end here, and one of my favorite questions to always ask is, what would you like boots on the ground dairy producers to, to gain from this really informative project? I can start with that one, and Megan, you can follow up. Again, what we talk about in our neck of the wood is it's kind of this uh, reproduction revolution. Mm -hmm. And what's been what's driven that reproduction revolution? Well, it started with ways to improve service rates, right? So a lot of our farms have bought these heat detection systems, the activity monitoring systems. Those are great, can catch cows in heat. Obsync can allow us to put semen into cows. And now we've got fertility programs. And we have the high fertility cycle. And so now we know how to drive fertility. My suggestion to the farms out there listening to this, get your herd into the high fertility cycle. How do we do that? We're aggressive with reproduction. How do we be aggressive with reproduction? Well, we use the best tools that we have. And what is that? That's a double offsync program for first breeding, especially mm -hmm. if you pair that with sex semen. And if you can get your herd into the high fertility cycle by being aggressive with reproduction, everything's just going to work better. Cows are going to be healthier. Milk production is going to be better. And again, coming back to these stackable technologies, mm -hmm. once you have good reproduction, you have a lot of options. Mm -hmm. If you don't have good repro, you have no options rate limiting so yeah now we can use sex semen now we can use beef semen you can get these crossbred calves or a, a new source of revenue to the dairy industry i was just reading today that this uh, pipeline in the beef industry is not going to resolve itself quickly you know right. so the i think i think beef prices might stay high for a while mm -hmm. and so you you need to have a mindset as a dairy farmer that you're trying to be better right we're trying to become better at what we're doing the farms that I work with that are really good are the ones that want to be pushed. They're the ones that want to say, how can I get better at what I'm doing? Megan and I are mm -hmm. working with Repro. You can work with nutrition as well, but now we have the tools to do that. So that would be my message to the farmers out there. Megan, what do you think? I agree 100%, Paul. I think you summed it up really well that increased reproductive performance by adopting these fertility programs, having our herd in the high fertility cycle, give us a lot of options to use sex semen, use beef semen, to manage our inventory. Herds maybe later on want to use embryos for embryo transfer, IVF, improve genetic progress that way, or beef embryos. That's um, some work that Paul's uh, master's student, Natalia, is working on. It gives us a lot of opportunities and a lot of power. And with this study, you know, as I mentioned, whether it's sex semen or beef semen, submitting cows to a double offsync protocol still is our best management strategy to maximize our pregnancy outcomes for first service. And again, maximize our service rate as well. And when we were talking about that last figure with the body condition score aspect, mm -hmm. you know, we do see that there's really isn't much of a difference in the pregnancy outcomes between cows submitted to a double off sync or detected estrus 
But again, we have to remember we inseminate 100% of our double offsin cows. Mm-hmm. And with this ester detection protocol, we only inseminate 75% of those, those cows. So we always have to remember those strategies. So um, I think, Paul, you summarized it really well. And I think there's a lot to look forward to and for us as an industry to figure out with some of these aspects of body condition score loss and try to mitigate that and understand what's going on in the cow and how we can better manage that. And so for herds, I would challenge them to look at some of the body condition score of their cows, look at cows at dry off, look at freshening and 30 days in milk and really for them to see where your cows falling, how many cows do you have losing excess body condition, how many do you have maintaining or gaining. And I think that can be a great metric for herds to work with to understand how body condition score may be impacting reproductive performance in their herds. That's the ripple effect. Well, this has been very informative, and I really want to thank you guys for your time. And listeners, I really applaud you for taking time out of your day today to illuminate what might be best to get your cows into that high fertility cycle. I've really enjoyed our our conversation, and this has been the November edition of the Dairy Science Digest, which is a monthly podcast project designed to bring the Journal of Dairy Science straight to the ears of dairy producers. We like to highlight peer-reviewed research articles that are actively impressed. So this is the most current sound science to base your management decisions around, and it's provided to you by your University of Missouri dairy team. Please be sure to like, share, and subscribe to get future editions straight to your cell phone. This is Reagan Blue with the Dairy Science Digest, and I hope you have a great day.